0: is upon us what would you do if your starting quarterback who accounted for 50 touchdowns last year decided to red shirt and then he was going to transfer somewhere else how would you feel about that and every away pac 12 team might actually win this weekend we're going to talk about the pac 12 players of the week and go over all the games and talk about cal's attendance as well i'm george reister with ralph amson and this is the pac 12 apostles you guys, thank you for joining the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. This podcast is for us. It is for Pac-12 fans. We want to thank you guys for listening. And please, share the podcast with at least one friend. And if you have any questions, comments, anything, send them to Mad at unafraidshow.com. We will get to them as we always do. Let's get to the show. Ralph, this topic was sent in directly from one of the Pac-12 Apostles. They asked us about De'Eric King, who plays in Houston. How does this relate to the Pac-12? Because it could happen, number one. And number two, Washington State played Houston. He's their quarterback. He accounted for 50 touchdowns last year. And he decided to essentially redshirt the rest of the season because we know that you can sit out four games, you can play four games, and still redshirt. So he wants to redshirt this season. And then he didn't say he was going to transfer, but it is clear that he intends to transfer somewhere else. said he wants to get better at football, hone his craft, because he clearly wants to go to the NFL. He will graduate in the fall. How do you feel about this Ralph?
1: I don't know how to feel. I mean, I almost always side with the players in all issues of anything. I mean, let them do what they want. Um, they're on a barter system, and so, you know, you're trading for what they have. Um, they're trying to give you the best of what they've got. And uh, and I, I usually don't pay any mind to anybody transferring because it's never really somebody who is locked down as starting role and is one of the stars of college football and considered to be a, a dark horse Heisman candidate. I, was, I mean, I'm still processing this. Where are you at on this, George? i do
0: not mind this from the air king i i actually like it and i applaud it we're looking at i mean everybody is mercenaries we're all mercenaries We're, we're just playing for a collective goal and i as a parent always have to do what's best for my kid you always have to do what's best for your kid and this situation may not be the best situation for them long term or going forward so it's no hard feelings if you guys decide to leave if we decide to leave, anything like that. So I know we are a family because we've been together for years, but we have to do what's best for us. And the other reason why I don't mind, I'm like, okay, dear King, he's will already have graduated in the fall. So that makes him eligible to graduate transfer. That's the first thing. The second thing is, and he can play immediately. He's got goals of going to the NFL and clearly he is smart enough to recognize that he isn't where he needs to be in his maturation as a quarterback to get to the NFL. And then the third thing, the reason why I don't have a problem, is it sucks for his teammates. It does. But his head coach, Dana Hogerzum, who may be a little bit upset about this, he just made the same decision. He was at West Virginia. West Virginia was not going to fire him. He decided, you know what? I'm going to pick Tillman for T to call. I'm going to pick up the phone, and I'm going to leave West Virginia. He made the best decision for him and his family. So you can't have hard feelings at somebody else leaving leaving you hanging when you left all the kids of West Virginia okay. hanging that you recruited. Okay. Um, to make the best decision for your but family. Dana
1: Holgerson didn't do it in the middle of the year. We We've got examples of that, right? Um, we had, uh, we had, uh, oh man, uh, patrino. we had him leave
0: Bobby Petrino, leave the
1: Falcons in the middle of the night, yeah, leave the Falcons in the middle no, of the no, night, no,
0: he left, he left for the Falcons or did he leave? He, he
1: did both. So he, I mean, he, but he's in, he went to go coach Michael Vick. Michael Vick wasn't there for, uh, reasons we're not going to get into on the podcast and in game like 13 or whatever, he left to go take the Arkansas job right in the middle of the football season. And I remember that being – what I mean, that dude did a lot of scumbag stuff. But, I mean, I, I remember that being one of the things that I was like, man, you just don't – you don't quit on your team. But and at that level, everybody's a professional, and so I think you judge it differently. I guess I'll just I'll, – I'll pose it to you like this, because I think you're coming at it from a little bit of a different angle now as a father then you maybe would have like let's paint a picture of you in two thousand two. two thousand two was a weird year for you in college football. You guys had started six and zero, and then things kinda went off the rails after ASU came back um uh in that forty forty two game. But so what 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 if that Don't was game four me. instead of game seven? Okay? And what if at the end of that game your quarterback was like, Man, this isn't doing it for me. Bye and you're, you know, you're still a competitive team, um. but your quarterback leaves in the middle of the year. Like, don't don't you think just from that angle that you would have been, like, felt betrayed or been, like, in- incredibly upset just from, like, the, the brotherhood in the locker room as far as that goes, the people depending on you? Because I think, yeah, I mean, you can look at it from a business sense and be okay with it. And I, I think that I'm probably where you're at on that, too. I'm just new to it. I'm just trying to wrap my my head around this potentially becoming more than just the one time. Um, but for the players, I'm just trying to think of it from where they're at. Uh, they they're probably upset. Reason to be.
0: Oh yeah, I I totally agree that that the players have reason and opportunity to be upset with Derek King. I mean the 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 same thing could happen. At Arizona. I mean, he, De'Erik King, is kind of a pretty much a the same kind of quarterback as Khalil Tate Amston. He is. Like they are kind of the same guy. They're very athletic. They run around, throw the ball around a lot, but need to be more refined as passers to be NFL quarterbacks. Yeah.
1: Okay, be, Would you agree with absolutely. that? Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right.
0: So I, in, the 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 problem is this, because we actually saw this last year with Kelly Bryant at Clemson, which I, Kelly Bryant, which I did, did not have a
1: problem. I did just, not have a problem with that.
0: Yeah, and when it's different if a kid is a junior if he's a sophomore, but this kid this is his last year playing college football. Yes. So and and so when it's your last opportunity and you have accounted for all these touchdowns, you've done the right things, and you're like, wow, I am not where I need to be. And it's not like he can get another year of eligibility, figure out how to get to the NFL, because truth is, if you are not drafted in the NFL, and drafted highly, your chances of making it in the NFL are, it's already 1% of college players make it to the NFL. Right. But then when you're not drafted, that percentage goes way down. So it's so you've put yourself behind the eight ball and this is your life's dream. I understand that that may disappoint some other people. This is like when a when a family, when when you have a family of of uh of doctors or a family of lawyers and then one person decides to go off and be a comedian. Everybody in the house is like, no, this is a terrible decision. They're let down. You're not following the rules. You're not following the family tradition. But you have your own path. So you can't be mad at somebody for doing the best thing for them, especially when they've showed up for you and done things the right way and tried to make it happen. And then they figure out, wait, you know what? I'm not going to ride this thing out until the wheels fall off of it. And then I'm trying to find some sort of superhero way to get into the NFL because quarterbacking is very difficult. And if you don't have all the requisite skills and have those on film, it's not going to happen. And he clearly, if you're looking at this, I am looking at where he would transfer. And obviously the first thing that sticks out in my mind is he might end up at Oklahoma. Because that's the same thing that that uh, Jalen Hurts has done, who's there right, right now, same thing that um Kyler Murray did, same thing Baker Mayfield did. They all transferred there. And if all and the two of them have been number one picks, and we'll see what happens with Hurts. And if you're Derek King, imagine that. I mean, because this could happen at Arizona. Khalil Tate might wake up and be like, wow, this kid's on to something and say, I'm not playing this week.
1: Yeah, I, I guess there's – I mean, and part of this just comes from, you know, college football being late to the game of actually treating these kids like the commodities that they are. But there is a part of college football that seems to be fading away that is a little bit upsetting Just just at first glance, just when you're first trying to digest this. And I want to acknowledge it that like Dierick King is not a Houston Cougar anymore. Like and maybe ever again. Does that make sense? Like it you can the fans are going to have a hard time appreciating what they had once when they were left. I mean, how how much do you think back fondly on the girls that walked out the door on you? Like they're not part of your life anymore. You eventually have to like agree with that sentiment. Like it's just, it's one of those things where, and and obviously college athletes are not your girlfriend and should not be treated as such. But if it's somebody that you're rooting for and they choose to not be part of that system anymore, I do not begrudge fans who then don't go out of their way to cheer that person on because they walked away. And it's a weird situation, especially at Houston Houston is one, and and maybe this could happen in the Pac-12. It's certainly possible. There's no precedent for it. But Houston's weird because they landed one of the best recruits in the entire country in Ed Oliver, and he kind of used Houston for what it was, a chance to play early. And then when it was very clear that he was going to be a first-round pick, he kind of quit putting in effort, right? Um, Kyle Allen, when he left Texas A&M, I think that some college coaches treated him as maybe damaged goods. I'm not sure he wanted to go to Houston in the first place. He ends up going to Houston. He starts four games. He does pretty well, but they want somebody who's more mobile, and they bench him. And so he only played four games, uh, and De- and Deer King took over for him. And Look what does at Kyle now, Allen do? Uh, you know, he could still grad transfer to anywhere. It would have been his third school, or he just bet on himself. And if you remember, because, you know, and, and I, I don't want to bring up Josh Allen's name on this podcast, but I will anyway because it's part of the story. But if you remember when Sam Darnold and Josh Allen were training together for the NFL draft, in almost every article about how these two were training together, Josh Allen would bring up the fact that, like, hey, there's this third guy that trains with us. Uh, there were other guys, too. And he's like, there's this other guy that trains with us, and he's as good as we are. And then Kyle Allen goes undrafted, has a backup job in Carolina. He just came home to Arizona, and on Sunday I watched him throw four touchdowns in a game, back in his home state, uh, against some of his former Texas A&M teammates in Christian Kirk and Kyler Murray. And that was an instance in which at least he was benched. Kelly Bryant was benched. Jack Sears at UCLA was made fourth string. Like I, I understand all those decisions. Being the starter. When, like in Kyle Allen's case, he just went and trained to become a better quarterback. You don't need college football. Well, Dear well, King well, already is, has that.
0: I I think the difference is is that Kyle Kyle Allen already had some good film, and nobody was trying to. You mean
1: as a pure passer? Yeah, is what you're saying.
0: Yeah, okay. as a pure passer, and nobody was trying to pigeonhole him as a running back playing playing quarterback look at lamar jackson lamar jackson ended up being a first round pick for the ravens and is playing well now and people they get lost with the athleticism sometimes they get lost with it and they can't see the forest for the trees they're like oh this dude can't can't be a quarterback i mean that's the way probably some people feel about my opinion about khalil tate amsden i can't see past the athleticism but I'm a person who looks past the athleticism. This is just a different case. Um, but but wanna, like,
1: are we saying that Holgerson can't develop quarterbacks? Did he not have Will Greer out there? Am I mistaken? Um, it, or, or I mean, or, what, what's the ultimate point? Of, so part of me just wants to believe sometimes that at the end of the day. broke clock
0: is right twice a day, Ralph. Sometimes yeah. a, blo- a broke clock. Sometimes you, you just show up and, a, and you get a dude.
1: Maybe I mean, he had Geno too, so it's not like it's not like he hasn't had he it's not like he hasn't had quarterbacks out there. But part of me just wants to believe, you know. And it's nice to want to side with the athletes, but sometimes two dudes don't get along, and sometimes these guys are quitters. Sometimes they just are, and they can find a convenient excuse to make people empathetic to their case. And like, what if he just wasn't getting along with the coaching staff? And instead of having the stomach to tough it out, he quit. And then he goes on to the NFL level. And guess what? Like that same attitude gets you burned at the next level. And so I I don't know. I I think that as long as he's talented enough, somebody's going to take a chance on him. What I hate to see is that we are now in an environment where kids, and I tell tell talented quarterbacks this all the time, they're never going to listen to me, but they need to hear it. Go where you're going to play. Stop committing yep. to Oklahoma like Spencer Rattler, five-star quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen in my life. Um, Bryce Young, who we should definitely talk about today, flipped from USC uh, to Alabama and all, they're all doing it with the assumption that they're going to play, but they're also recruiting your replacement at the time. If I'm a five-star quarterback, I'm looking at Colorado state. I'm looking at Hawaii. I'm looking at all of these different schools where I can go in and be the guy and just put a bunch of stuff on film. Because if I, I know now, if I go to Oklahoma, not only are they trying to recruit my replacement, but my replacement could come from any other college, any other year. And that doesn't, <laughs> feel, that doesn't feel like it's crazy. happening in the Pac-12 yet. And I would love for it not to happen. I mean, grad transfers are cool. Once you already have well, the degree or whatever, the whole Russell Wilson path. I I, I absolutely dig that. A Brady White, who started at ASU one game, broke his leg, and then moved on to Memphis and now got a sixth year of eligibility and is gonna be playing until he's like 30, you know, he's gonna have three degrees out of this. That's incredible. But this whole thing of like of Derek King just saying like that's and uh and I'm gonna to go to a school where I can get better stats. Those quarterbacks on that roster at Oklahoma who actually committed to go there. They got to be sick to their stomachs because you got quarterbacks coming in in front and behind and you never really know if you're going to be the guy. And it sort of takes the wind out of the sails of going into these kids living rooms and and making promises to them. And if I mean, if any quarterbacks pr- prospects listen to this, go to some school in Idaho or something like, it, no, man,
0: go to. No, 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 no. Listen, I thought about this. So, and we, and we, we can move on into Bryce Young, uh, trading up uh, trading, <laughs> um, decommitting yep. from USC to go to, to go to Alabama. Yep, so I'm on that. board with Derek King. Uh, but when it comes to going to the school, I a hundred percent agree with you, Ralph about going to the school where you're going to be developed and play. Um, instead of going to the school that you feel is quote unquote appropriate for you to be at. And a person who kind of did that in the past was um, the uh, kid at, at Houston at Oliver. He was a five-star recruit and he went to Houston because he thought that was the best move for him. Uh, you, you had Kayvon Thib- Thibodeau pass up, Alabama, pass up all the SEC schools to go to Oregon and be a a defensive end and play on a really good, what is actually a really good defense. And I think that on a side note, that that's going to turn into different recruiting and guys are going to look at Oregon even differently with the way their defense is playing right now. Same thing with Cal. But, um, But with the Bryce Young thing, here is what I know. I know this for a fact. There is a player who I used to, who I'm friends with, used to play in the NFL. Uh, He does some consulting work for colleges. Two and a half, three months ago, he told me this quote. And I never brought it up. I don't know why I didn't. But he told me this quote. He said he was sitting in a meeting with Nick Saban at, at Alabama. And Nick Saban said, it is Bryce Young- or nobody for his recruiting of quarterbacks this year. He said Bryce young or nobody. He doesn't want any of the other quarterbacks. He doesn't think that they're nearly as good as Bryce young. And he thinks that he is the real deal. So you know what Alabama did? They put on the full court press. I don't know what that full court press really means. <laughs> how, well, how they got it done. But in reality, he decommitted from USC because Nick Saban said, "I want this kid. Do whatever you need to do to get him." And I don't know what "do whatever" means,
1: but they got him. Yeah, and I mean, I, you know, I've seen, I've seen Bryce Young Clay. He's already made moves that are good for him at the high school level to go to Modern Day. Um, this is an incredible player, and it's it sucks that the, the Pac-12 is not going to have him, and also most of the top talent in California, and also most of the top talent. In Arizona. Um, It's a global economy. People are going to go where they go. I get that. It just seems like there's a massive talent drain on here, and he becomes just the latest guy. Uh, The nice thing for USC is that Jake Garcia, one of my favorite 2021 guys, when he saw that Bryce Young left, he jumped in, and USC doesn't really need anybody for 2020, so they get this 2021 quarterback whose arm reminds me of Carson Palmer. And uh, and I mean we got to try to get this kid on the show because I'm 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 a big fan of uh, of, of Jake Garcia and I think USC is going to be fine. But I just I, when I look at I look at a guy like Bryce Young going to Alabama, um, and it might be Bryce Young or nobody from the high school level. But if Nick Saban looks over and he sees De'Aaron King as the key to whatever they're doing next, then maybe he comes in as a transfer. You just never really know. And so I, oh, wow. I just I see these these yep. um these programs that churn out these quarterbacks, most of which come by transfer, and I just wonder if 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 high school quarterbacks are starting to take notice to say like, Man, if I want to play now and if the whole point is to be able to play, uh, and in the Derek King case it's weird because you know, a lot of the quarterback training comes from private coaches anyway. Not a lot of these colleges have the ability to train you up on position. You're supposed to come in ready to go. And so, you know, I, I think it's it, – to me, I look at it and I'm yeah. like, oh, this dude wants the bright lights and stats. That's what he wants. Houston's not going to be in the national spotlight because they lost a couple of games early. Had they beat Washington State, maybe he doesn't go anywhere. Had they won that uh, their fourth game, uh, maybe he doesn't go anywhere, you know, because they there still would have been attention on Houston. So maybe it's more about the attention, the week-to-week attention, than it is anything else. But I don't know. I would. I would. I would tell you that uh, with it being Garrett no, King, uh, I don't really care as much. If this started happening in the Pac-12, uh, I mean, it wouldn't it for me. We're still going to do this podcast, right? But I would. Uh, I, I would not really care for. It. I'm not going to go out of my way to like it. I don't think anybody has to. Don't, I, I, I say don't like hate on the kids. Don't be tweeting them stuff. Don't be a jerk. I mean that that should apply in all areas of life. But you don't have to like this. You 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 could. long uh, long for the days of people wanting to play for one team and having that legacy at their school and being proud of that for, for eternity, you know, it's okay. It's okay to kind of be unsettled by this. And I think that, you know, for those people out there that just get sick of people saying, well, no, you got to, these kids got to do what's best for them. They kind of feel left out in the cold a little bit with like, Hey, they just want to root for a team where people want to be there. And that hasn't been the case at Houston for a few years. I feel bad for those fans and I'd feel bad for the fans of anybody uh in the Pac-12 if this repeatedly happened to them but we do have a school in the Pac-12 who kind of goes fishing for quarterbacks all the time and that's Washington State and so but they still get kids to commit out there so you never you never really know you know, I, I just I, I would like for the kids who are recruited um, to have every opportunity to go out and, and showcase what they can do and win that job. But there's so much money on the coaching side that they're going to take a chance on whatever they feel with them a couple more games.
0: Yeah, um, let's get to the Pac-12 players of the week, because there was a little bit of controversy at one of the spots because the Pac-12 offensive player of the week was... Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the quarterback from UCLA. They picked him over obviously the the losing quarterback in that game, Anthony Gordon, who threw for nine touchdowns, 500 what did he throw for 580 yards or something like that. Yeah. And and but he but Dorian Thompson-Robinson led to a 30-point second half deficit to win 67-63. How do you feel? Oh, and he added two rushing touchdowns. He threw four, 57 yards rushing. He had an amazing day. So, do you feel comfortable with Anthony Gordon getting Pac 12 player, offensive player of the week? I mean, Dorian Thompson Robinson instead of Anthony Gordon.
1: Yeah, I'm okay with it. Coach of the year rules, right? Instead of the best and and biggest numbers, you go with most improved. Um, And they won the game. I think that it would have almost been. I mean, there are people out there who feel like this. It would almost would have been more patronizing and insulting to, on the heels of that loss, be told that, like, hey, and you were the best player this week. And so, I don't know. I almost think it's better for Washington State that he wasn't. He also has the most opportunity to win it four or five more times this year. So, I mean, if it happened to somebody who just, like, had a one-off, um as a as a quarterback and and they were never going to do it again but there's a pretty good chance that uh, after watching you know just after watching utah's dbs against usc like <laughs> it's very possible anthony gordon does this a couple more times yeah so I'm um
0: of the office of of the week was panay sewell Left tackle from Oregon, in 56 snaps, (laughs) he didn't allow a pressure, a hit, or a hurry on Justin Herbert for the third consecutive game. He's only a sophomore, and he's even yet to be called for a penalty. And he had he had five knockdowns against Stanford of guys just leveling them. And I mean, if you have not seen a a if you don't pay attention to offensive line play. Pay attention to the left tackle for Oregon. He's a... Yeah, oh, and he's got a brother who's a top 15 recruit, too. It, it is it is absolutely incredible for that kid to, to, to watch that kid play. But on
1: defense... It not just... Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Not just incredible to watch that kid play. It's incredible that he came from where he came from and was this ready. St. George, Utah is like a handful of people. He played against dudes who were a hundred and eighty pound defensive linemen would like be the biggest guy he ever went against. And he'd pick those guys up and throw them 10-15 yards down the field. But stuff like that doesn't always prepare you for the next level. And he came in and dominated right away anyway like that that's wild to me i also watched i watched the guy that he replaced or i watched tyrell crosby in high school he played against some of las vegas's best week after week i felt like that was always going to prepare him to go to the next level and 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 get it done when he was at oregon panay sewell was playing against like kids who would be fifth string at a mid-sized high school in la like that's and and i so that was always my big worry with him is that anybody who saw him was like, "Oh, he's gonna crush it at the next level," and I'd always like jump in and be like, "If he develops and gets used to the speed," and I, no, I'm man, I was wrong. None Dude, of that matters. He is he's, good. he's he's just he is that good regardless. 10, Doesn't matter where is he's. He is a Wilson. top
0: ten pick next year in not in the 2020 draft and the 2021 draft when he's eligible. He he's he's a top ten pick. It's.
1: Oh, I'm I'm
0: I'm picturing him in Arizona Cardinal red right now. <laughs> um, well, if you're an Arizona fan, I would hope you wouldn't be picking in the top ten in two years. Um, but on defense, Evan Weaver was the defensive player of the week for what? This is the second time he's been defensive player of the week. Um, he had 18 tackles against Washington. Came back this week. Set it another personal record: twenty-two tackles in their win over Ole Miss, and he made the final tackle of the of the game on that quarter on that attempted quarterback sneak. This dude is really good. I mean, I thought he was fat because he looks weird in his uniform, but but turns turns out he's not. This kid can <laughs> run. He looks like he looks like Mister Incredible, but this kid can play. I like it. I mean, I like him better than Ben Burr, Ben Burr, Curvin, who was at Washington last year, who led the, who was one of the top tacklers in the league.
1: Yeah. He, Evan, Evan Weaver reminds me of a Juco linebacker who, uh, who broke out his senior year at Arizona state back in 2005. His name was Dale Robinson. He kind of came out of nowhere, um, I, I think he. I want to say he went to Kajuko like in Kansas or something like that. Didn't really do much his junior year, and then his senior year he had 115 tackles, 15 for a loss, and four sacks, three forced fumbles. Like he was crazy. He was in on every single play, every single one of them. And then you know he went on to the NFL. Didn't really do anything there, but it was just like I I I knew Evan Weaver was a tackling machine going into this year, but I didn't know that like this guy was going to be freed up to get in on absolutely everything. And what he's doing week to week is pretty wild. Now we'll we'll have to see, especially Friday night. We'll see if he's a playmaker and a difference maker in that like he can do more than just be the guy who gets all the stops and doesn't really miss any tackles. I'd like to see him take that next step um into taking games over uh much in the way that um Mantai used to do at Notre Dame, right? He his his yep. senior year, he went beyond just being that guy who was in on every play to having like seven interceptions. You know, he's just always around the ball. I think that we could be talking about, you know, potential national honors, especially if Cal keeps it rolling and keeps getting wins. And so, oh, for I mean, sure. it, it, I, I, I'm rooting for sure. this kid to stay healthy. I'm rooting for him to keep having success. I just want to see – I want to see now that the lights are shining on him – now that more people know his name and now that he's out there with like fun quotes and stuff like that, I just want to see him shine because that'd be great for Cal football. It really would.
0: Oh, for sure. Uh, and the defensive lineman was uh, Gus Cumberlander from Oregon. Special teams, Demetric Felton from UCLA. I'm surprised he get I mean, they had to give this kid an award for something. He had a hundred yard kickoff against Washington State. Ninety four yard Catch, I mean, he was absolutely incredible. Two hundred sixty-three all-purpose yards. He was fantastic. And then the freshman was Kyle Phillips from UCLA. He with seven thirty-one in the fourth. He uh, returned a punt sixty-nine yards for a touchdown that gave UCLA the the lead. But I want to give you an interesting note, Ralph. That six Pac-12 quarterbacks threw for more than three hundred yards last week. And 10 Pac-12 teams combined to pass for 3,379 yards, which is the equivalent (laughs) of 1.9
1: miles. Uh, Thank you to Anthony Gordon for doing about a third of that. Uh, We definitely appreciate his service.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, So now we can get into the games, really. There are five Pac-12 teams in the top 25, for the fifth straight week. And it's the first time that the Pac-Twelve has had five or more teams in the AP top twenty-five for five straight weeks since the first six weeks of the twenty fifteen season.
1: Wow, the twenty fifteen season was like the year that Arizona State got picked yeah. to win the national championship, right? By Herb Street, and then everything fell apart. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Oregon
0: ended up going to the national championship. Um, so want to go on to the games. I think it's interesting this week, Ralph, that all the away teams could win this week. Like the the home teams could go over. Even though I'm not going to pick them to go over, but we'll start with the Friday night game. Another Friday night game. This time you got a top 15 team in CAL who is number 2 and should be number 2 in everybody's power ranking in the Pac-12. Against Arizona State, Cal is favored by five and a half. I'm sorry, is favored by five points. Who you got in this game, Ralph?
1: I've been going back and forth on this. Um, I think that uh, I think that I'm I'm leaning Cal, and I think I always was. I don't Arizona State on the road in California. It has been an issue since the beginning of time. They've had some success at UCLA recently, but who hasn't? Um, I think it's true, man. Oh. It's true that home field advantage is
0: non-existent. Listen, you're gonna quit ragging on UCLA. <laughs> they are one and zero in the Pac-12 and still have the inside track to winning the back. Or they South, can, they like also have it. the
1: inside track on like winning every game on the road, which I might go to. I might go to their their road game uh, this weekend and not win in any games at home. I could I could see that happening as well. Um, but uh, so I'm I'm leaning toward Cal. I'm. I'm also. I mean, I. I might. I might pull a George Reister and right before the game flip my, flip my commitment on this. I'm still. I'm still kind of looking at things. Here's the deal. Everything regresses to the mean. Chase Garbers will not do what he did against Ole Miss, against Arizona State. Period. There's. It's not even. It's not even up for debate. Doing something one out of fifteen games. When like seven of your fifteen games you threw for under a hundred yards. He's not he's not gonna go for three seventy something back to back weeks. It's just not gonna happen. Um he could do some serious damage with his legs this week though. Uh because as we saw Steven Montez move around a lot in the pocket against ASU, especially on, on third down. Um, I could see him creating some opportunities for himself there, but he's gonna have a rough week throwing the ball. I guarantee that. Um
0: Wow that that's a Ralph amsden guarantee. Well, Ralph, sometimes the light comes on for guys. Yeah, Chase Garber set a career high with touchdown passes and yards 3 357 and four touchdowns. His previous high was 238 versus UC Davis. Right. This year. So guess it, it's what he's getting better. And I be, and on, I would Ralph. be
1: proud of him for throwing for 238 against Arizona State. I really would. Um I don't think it's a yeah, absolutely. What again? Again, I'm going with his history on this, and Arizona State's defense, especially, especially the defensive backfield, is a problem. They're not, and, and they're coming off a week where they got.
0: Did you see the Colorado yeah, game if last you don't week?
1: Don't get a pass rush, then you can get torched. That's what happened with Ole Miss. They're not. They're not. They're not. Ralph, you are. Ralph, you are completely
0: overvaluing this Arizona State defense, completely overvaluing them. I, I have no idea why you are so high on this Arizona State defense.
1: I'm not high on them. It's a law of that. I'm just, I'm just trying to use logic. Chase Garbers had 14 games where he barely looked like a passer and one where he looked good. Ole Miss fans will tell you if you want to get healthy, come play against them. Arizona State had three weeks where the defense played lights out and the results Ralph, were Ralph, they
0: played. Ralph, they played against two of those games were against Sacramento State, who they struggled against on offense, and against Kent State, and then they played against Michigan State, who can't score points on a regular. I races. will remind
1: you that you picked I mean, Michigan they, State because you said that their scoring this year was vastly improved. And if you look at the results last week, and I was, and, and if you look at the results last week, they're back to scoring points. They're back to scoring points. It's just the the law of averages. Arizona State's defense had a bad game, and it all came down to one thing. They were not pressuring Steven Montez. They're not going to make that mistake against Chase Garbers when it was obvious that Ole Miss was doing stuff like dropping eight into coverage, and time was on Chase Garbers' side, and that's one of the main reasons why he had such a good week. So also, it's a Herm Edwards coached team. Do you not think that this game's going to be close? The only – Arizona State's ne- only played in one game that wasn't close in his entire tenure. Right. It would here, be here very, is the tr- very confusing to me if Arizona State picked now to get blown out by a team that has only done good things on offense Dude, once in a
0: while. Cal is 100% winning this football game. They are going to crush Arizona State. And, and when I say crush, crushed. I mean crush by Cal standards. That means like a 10-point victory. Like 7 to 10 okay, points. Okay, okay. And, and except, okay. for, except for Arizona's going to probably score a late touchdown or something to make it a little bit closer, because the truth is, Cow's defense is suffocating. They have yes. they have destroyed quarterback futures. They destroyed Jacob Eason. They destroyed. Uh, they they've destroyed uh, Matt Carroll, the kid at Ole Miss. They they destroy quarterbacks. They destroyed Jake Browning. They destroyed KJ Costello. They destroyed quarterbacks. And Jaden Daniels, as a true freshman, who we both believe is going to be a really good quarterback, and then the fact that Arizona State has trouble protecting him. Arizona State couldn't run the football against Sacramento State. They didn't throw the ball well against Sacramento State. Didn't throw the ball well against Michigan State. Couldn't protect Jaden Daniels there. What do you think is gonna happen when they face Cal? Cal gets pressure. Their deep, their secondary is super good. Like Jaden Daniels might throw three interceptions this this game. There is no way, no how, no chance Arizona State wins this game against against Cal. It's not happening. They might as well be playing freaking Alabama this, this week. It's not All right, happening.
1: See, now you convince me. Now I'm picking Arizona State because I can't. I can't go with the no way no how. I can't jump on board with that. And to say that Jaden Daniels, who's thrown 116 passes this year with one interception like the Colorado game, to say that he's going to throw three picks, it's not it's not going to happen. Herm, Herm Edwards wouldn't to quote uh Takashi 69 wouldn't even let him get the chance. Like Arizona State with, uh, under Herm Edwards and it's it it drives me nuts as someone who just wants games to be aesthetically pleasing sometimes is going to welcome this being a couple of pigs rolling around in the mud because the uglier that Cal wants to make it, the better position Arizona state is in to do some nonsense in the fourth quarter and come out with a victory. That's his mindset. They don't care about stats. They don't care about looking good. They don't care about any of that. Neither does Cal, but to say that all of a sudden, because Cal scored 28 points, in one game, that they're going to come out and be offensive juggernauts. against I don't a team think they're going to be offensive juggernauts.
0: I, I just think that Cal's defense is going to put their offense continuously in good positions to score. They're going to be in charge of the of the field position battle, and as long as Chase Garbers is not bad, Chase Garbers, and throws interceptions, they will be fine. We're we are we're we're looking at a team, right? where in total defense, Cal is only giving up 300, well, they're giving up 346 yards a game, which is up a tick from last year. But the difference is is that this year they've been ahead in so many games that teams have just had to just throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. And they have a bunch of turnovers. They are, like, their defense pass efficiency is number two in the conference. So you would agree... Only only behind Oregon and Arizona State's defensive pass uh efficiency is number seven in
1: okay, the country. Well that's because it just got worked by Steven Montez. But you, you look at you look at just like the pro foo- football focused stuff, Kobe Williams, who is considered to be like the least talented of the starting corners, Kobe Williams is like rated sixth in the entire country. In in uh, in passing defense, in quarterback rating, and going at him, he's allowed like five catches in 19 targets for a total of 60 yards. And this is this is their most like least dependable guy. They
0: haven't there. played anybody. They have not played anybody except Michigan State, and and well, and th- and then they just lost to Colorado. So maybe they weren't throwing at him, but they were throwing Jackie at somebody Jones. else. Stephen <laughs> Jones is the one giving up all yeah. the touchdowns. Um, Steven Montez is not, you know, he's not Jacob Eason. He's not uh, Herbert. He's a good quarterback who is who could turn out to be a pro. I will give him that because he has matured and gotten better every single season, and he flies under the radar. But at the end of the day, you have to look at the defenses and what they do. Um, Cal is second in the conference. In opponent third down conversions, Arizona State is seventh. You look at the amount of sacks. Cal is averaging three sacks a game. Arizona State's averaging one. They're not going to be able to get pressure on him while Cal is going to be able to get pressure. And Cal is the number one team in the Pac-12 with
1: sacks against. And yet they only have one game where they can score points.
0: No, no, I'm sorry. They are the worst team in the, in in the in the pac <laughs> uh, in
1: sack sacks against. I read the stat wrong. I was gonna say Chase Garbers, I think, is out there getting himself sacked a little bit. Here's, yes, here, yeah, correct. He, here's the thing. I think it's gonna be. Uh, I think it's gonna be an ugly game. And um, since you're giving them no chance, uh, you've pushed me to the Arizona State side. I will say that I, I that Cal should win. There's absolutely no way they win by 10 or anything like that. But they, I mean, they they should. They should win this game. They won't be able to run or throw.
0: Yes, so, Christopher, Christopher Brown Jr. or Dancy, or one of them is yeah. going for over 100 a, a yards, first of all.
1: Absolutely not. It's not going to happen.
0: And it's key, not going to happen. And, and Keoka Crawford or Jordan Duncan for Cal, they're, they're receivers. One of them is going to have a 100-yard day, too. I'm telling you. Bro, this is this you are overvaluing the Arizona State defense. I don't see it. And you know and and after the way I kicked your ass last week in picks, there it, you know, <laughs> you
1: should you should just roll with me, Ralph. I no, I I get where you're coming from and I I think that Cal should absolutely be the favorite and I think the lines appropriate in this game, but you're too sure, man. You're too sure. We we were sure about Washington State last week. It's the it's the certainty that's scaring me off. And your reasoning. I mean, again, one good game does not a working offense. Cal,
0: I, I didn't even applaud, I didn't even say anything about Cal's offense being fantastic. It was this the Cal's defense. A hundred I yard
1: rusher it. and a hundred yard receiver and saying that Chase Garbers is going to at least have his second most efficient passing game of his career. What do you think all those things add up to?
0: That is that means that Arizona State's defense is not as good as you think it is. That's what that's what that means. Um, on to the next game. You USC, because Ralph, you have an affinity for the Arizona schools. I get it. I get it. I get that that that, that this is your core demo. And
1: you, I will I will say you I will say that I I picked them to go a combined ten and fourteen this year, so I'm not too fond of them.
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, we next game we got up Saturday, twelve thirty. Watch USC travels up to Seattle. Washington is a ten point favorite. Game's on Fox. Who you got, Ralph?
1: I'm leaning Washington. Um. I don't think that Washington is a team that can really fall for the whole, you know, chuck the ball up in the air and let guys come down with it. Um, I think that they have ways to, to combat that and to make sure that their cornerbacks aren't always isolated or out on an Island. Uh, And if you take that away, USC hasn't really shown that they can run the ball. And the way that Washington was able to move the ball was Sean McGrew at running back of all people, um, I think Washington rolling right now. Uh, I don't. I don't like this to be a blowout. I don't think that that's really what Pac-12 schools are going to be outdoing to each other this year. Um, but I. I do think that it's going to be a come down week for USC. I, I. still like USC to be on track to hit eight and four overall. Um, I would not like to see them lose this game and then you know get worked by Notre Dame and so on. My My hope is that it's at least competitive just so that we're not talking about a winning team that controls its destiny in the Pac-12 South being about to fire its coach. I'm about sick of that conversation. I feel like it's never going to end. But I I don't see any reason why Washington loses this game. What can USC do to Washington besides just get the ball out downfield quickly? That worked against Utah. I don't I, but Utah I don't think could match that offensively. I don't think that they could hang. Um I just I I don't I don't see one thing that USC does better than Washington. I don't see it because the receivers can't get themselves the ball. So I got to go with see, Washington here.
0: Ralph, I am honestly I'm a little bit torn about this game because but actually, first, first thing I'll say is, first thing is, I'm picking US, I'm sorry, Washington to win this game. Picking Washington to win this game. I, I don't see this as an opportunity for, for USC to win. Even though that they are technically, well, actually, these, these teams are pretty on par talent-wise. But here is the problem. USC can't run the ball. Their leading rusher right now is Malapai. He's got 311 yards. I'm not sure if they've had a 100-yard rusher this entire season. USC's having trouble running the football. That means that you have to pass the football. And Washington, their pass defense is good. They're number three in the conference in total defense, only allowing 332 yards a game. And I think you hit the nail on the head with – just chuck it up to Pittman, Vons, or St. Brown is not going to work against Washington. You are going to have to spread the ball around. Um, uh, they're going to have to be able to run the football and their young quarterbacks, either Slovis or Fink, who I would go with Slovis because it looked like Fink was doing a little more just chunking the ball up and Slovis was able to dissect the defense and that a bit more. If he's, if he's healthy and back. That's who I would go with. I would go with Slovis. But I'm looking at it and I'm saying, eh, I don't know, buddy. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how USC comes up with a running game when they haven't been able to run it. And Jacob Eason has been increasingly effective. Increasingly effective each game. Against BYU, I think he had his most efficient game of the season, especially considering it was against a good team. 24 for 28, 290 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. And USC's back end, their secondary is not that good at covering people. They're not. I mean, Elijah Griffin is young. They got um, that kid, Taylor Stewart or Chris Steele. Chris Steele looks like a little kid in his uniform. He may turn out to be a good player, it, but his uniform looks baggy. It looks too big. It's got little, like, it's not tailored on the sides. It, it doesn't, he doesn't look the part right now, let alone playing the part. And their best defender is their strong safety, Hafunga. And he's an excellent tackler. He's just not the best in coverage at this point as a sophomore. This, this is a game that looks unwinnable for USC. But at the same time, this could be one of those Washington State
1: maybe UCLA and I, games. And, and see, that now you're coming around to my side. I, I, I don't see an escape here for, for USC. I'm looking around every corner of the room. I don't see a way out. But this Washington State-UCLA game has me so shook that it's just like, yeah, why not? Why not just pick USC in this game? I'm not I mean I'm not I'm not going to um because I just again it, it's at every single position. I just don't see a way um for this to be for, for this to go USC's way. But I, I, I think it would be crazy to say that Washington's gonna come out and do what they did to BYU. And I know that they, they have them as a common opponent. I know that BYU beat USC. Um and it but at the same time I think that you know, these these intra conference games work a little bit differently than playing anybody from the outside.
0: Well, uh Ralph, I'm getting ready to piss you off right okay. right now. So is is this game the beginning of Clay Helton, the end of Clay Helton? No. If they if if they lose this game and then they lose against Notre Dame next week. Is it the beginning of
1: the year? No, end? not necessarily because, I mean, I, first of all, I thought that this would be their first loss. So I thought that they'd be going in 4-0. They'd take this loss and go to 4-1. I think they'll be 8-4 and four on the season. I think that they'll win the Pac-12 South. Okay, so I think that if they win the Pac-12 South, and it all really depends on what they do in the championship game, um, that, that that will ultimately determine whether or not he's got any juice. And it's also going to depend on who they hire. But I also get this really weird feeling that anybody who plays against USC is auditioning. So, like, I, you know, if Washington goes out and beats USC by 30, you know, how many USC fans are going to be like, we want Peterson. They're like, it doesn't matter what team they play. <laughs> they want yes. anybody right now. Yes, 100%. And so that's just kind of where I'm at is, is it feels like no matter who they go up against, like that coach is not only like auditioning to continue to keep their job, but also maybe for future consideration as the head coach of the USC Trojans. Um, This has to end at some point. It feels so inevitable. I've never seen somebody, and probably because I'm not an SEC fan and I don't root for Auburn, but I've never seen anybody on a permanent hot seat in this way, just doing just enough to keep their toes out of the boiling water. Oh, that was that was Kevin Sumlin
0: at Texas AM and Gus Malzahn at Auburn currently. Yeah, but I mean Gu- Gus Malzahn. Malzahn,
1: I feel like does good things. I don't think Kevin Sumlin ever did anything besides have exciting offenses and finish fourth in the SEC <laughs> West. So I mean, I, I just I don't I don't know. It, it it's almost like just rip the band-aid off and get it done already, even if they do win the Pac-12 South but I I don't think it's the beginning of the end. I think the beginning of the end was him just taking the job in the first place, you know, because it's always felt like nothing has ever sort of been good enough. And there are just objective metrics like recruiting that don't seem to be going well for this team. Um, but I, but I don't know if they perform well against Washington and find a way to sneak one out against Notre Dame, who know who knows how long he can delay the inevitable. I am
0: oh, fascinated th- by it. Th- this is a pick one game. This is a pick one. Between this week and next week, if you're USC, you get one of these two victories. If they lose to Washington, they're gonna beat Notre Dame because this is what Clay Helton is. And I don't wanna and I don't want this this reference to actually, actually, I'm I was going to use one reference, but I didn't want it to sound negative because I don't have anything against the guy. But but I'm going to use he's a he's a white walker. Yeah. He is a he's a walking dead guy like he is the guy who won't die like you can try to shoot him you can try to hang him you can try to burn him it's not gonna happen he's gonna keep on coming and then that's how i know if he beats washington he probably will lose to notre dame but if he loses to washington he's going to go beat notre dame and then people are gonna be like all right well what the hell are we supposed to do what the hell are we supposed to do now Um, but moving on, dude, the next game is an interesting game. Four o'clock at salad bowl stadium. Stanford is favored by four points at Oregon state. I'm letting you know right now, Ralph, I am picking Oregon state to get their second victory of the season. Jonathan Smith is gonna, he's already starting to keep games a little bit closer than he did last year. I'm picking Oregon state to upset Stanford at home on Saturday.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, I think that that's, uh, I, it's fair to kind of go where you see the momentum. Um, I personally think that Stanford not only wins this game, they cover, uh, Cameron Scarlett looks like the guy that you do not believe he is at least for one week. Um, and I, 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 Oregon State can't stop anybody. They absolutely cannot. The talent disparity between the two teams is huge. The one or two things that Oregon State does well defensively are going to be completely neutralized by the way that Stanford runs their offense. Um, if, if Oregon State can get a couple of quick scores, then this game is going to get pretty dangerous pretty quick, um, but I don't think they're going to have the ball all that much to be able to accomplish some of those things. And so um, I, I gotta go with that. Uh, that's my theme this week: is that everything sort of regresses to the mean. So I'm gonna go with uh, w- with Stanford in this one, not only to win, but to but to probably win um, by more than people are expecting them to.
0: Okay, here is here's the problem, Ralph: is that Stanford is not what they used to be. You have Oregon State, who is last in the Pac-12 against the rush right we we know they can't stop the run they can't stop the run to save their life they are but they're night they're only giving up 30 points a game i mean even though that's a lot colorado arizona and ucla are all giving up more oregon state is the third best rushing defense uh, offense in the pac12 utah i'm sorry arizona utah and then oregon state 230 yards a game but here is where the metric goes that, that lends itself to favoring Oregon State. Stanford is last in the Pac-12 in yards per game, and it's not even close. They're only averaging 320 yards per game. Cameron Scarlett has not gone for over 100 yards. They only have five touchdowns this season, Ralph. Five. Do you realize that... They've in four games, Stanford scored five touchdowns. Do they equal it on Saturday? No, no. You don't think so? And their pass offense is the worst in the country. I I, I mean, the the worst in the country, the worst in the Pac 12. The worst pass defense, uh, well, offense in the Pac 12. And Oregon State is not even last in total defense anymore. UCLA, Arizona, and Colorado are below them. So this is a team that is improving, getting better, and I'm telling you that they are here to shock the world. They are here to shock the world. Neither team is good in pass efficiency at all. But I I like, but Stanford is so bad running the ball right now. They are so bad passing the ball that this is a game we're playing in Research Stadium, that the momentum, all of this is going to favor Oregon State, and I got Oregon State winning this game. I can't believe at this point in time that Stanford is 1-3, and, and they're at a game at Oregon State, and people are going to be picking Oregon State to win. This is mind-blowing, and David Shaw, if he loses this game, It is going to be clear and evident because he's a smart guy. He's at Stanford, got smart people around him. That that something's broken. He's falling into the Jim Harbaugh, it's broken trap, and it's got to get fixed.
1: Yeah, I mean, you say that Stanford isn't Stanford, you know, but it's it doesn't mean that they've fallen down to where Oregon State is. You know, Cuba Gooding Jr. isn't Cuba Gooding Jr. anymore, but he's still got a role as OJ. He still gets work. And they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna go out and they're gonna take care of business against a, a far inferior team. Just when it comes to baseline talent and and let's be honest, coach, you think you really think David Shaw is not gonna take Oregon State seriously? It's just not gonna happen. And so, um, you know, I I don't feel like this game is even gonna be all that close. Maybe for a half, but it's still. It's still Oregon State. Has nothing at this point it has nothing to do with even Stanford. It's still Oregon State who who is who has talent at receiver and has talent maybe just at receiver, running back, right? Running back and receiver.
0: Yeah, yeah. Jamar Jefferson.
1: That's where all of their firepower is. But can the coaches win a game against coaches who have been doing this far longer with better players? Yeah, but it the really, problem... It, it, Jonathan Smith needs to prove it to me. And I, I mean, I would love for him to do it because he—he he, it feels like he's energized that campus so much. And I would love for him to be there as long as possible. I love that story. It would be really, really cool for Oregon State to get a win. I just don't... I don't see it. Even if they are able to do some damage offensively, you know, what... Who David are they
0: Shaw, stop? David Shaw has fallen into the trap of... I believe that I can play great defense and just run the football and win. That was that was 2015. Even Alabama had to switch it up. Alabama didn't even run the football as much as they used to. They passed the ball to open up the run. This is the way of the world and Oregon State and David Shaw have not adapted to it. Okay. That's the problem.
1: Right, but uh, this this is a team that lost to Hawaii and Oklahoma State and all Oklahoma State did was run the ball you know, and take
0: Luton. Yeah. But yeah. But the difference is, is that when Oklahoma state runs the ball, they spread you out and Oregon state doesn't have the same athletes. So, so they spread you out and then run the, the football. Right. Stanford wants to play in a phone booth and Cameron Scarlett, unfortunately is not good enough to, to, to hit those home runs to see all the holes to make the, to, to do special things that special running backs do, like Bryce Love did.
1: But do you I need to that, be special against Oregon State?
0: Do you uh, do you even need to be no, special? No, you don't need to be special, but you need to be better than you've been. And I'm telling you that J- Jamar Jefferson, he's going to have a good day against Stanford, and Jake Luton is going to have one of those uh, Chase Garber's mystical days I don't I don't know if it's going to be as efficient like he's going to throw for 350 and four touchdowns but he's going to have a much better day against this Stanford defense than you have seen him have I got Oregon State winning this game and and it's going to be a this is going to be a catastrophe for Stanford a catastrophe like one of those things where 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 people say all right look look I know that it was rough but this is a new low. This is going to be one of those days. Uh, but to move on to Washington State and Utah, does Washington State rebound and beat Utah in Utah after such a an emotional, uh, catastrophic? I mean, they got made fun of. They were memed. They cooked it. And now they're playing Utah, who lost to USC, who got beat in the pass game by USC. And now they're playing a pass-happy Washington State in the air raid offense. Utah's favorite by five.
1: Who you got? Uh, Well, we're probably not going to see Zach Moss, right? So. Yep. I mean, I know that Utah has bullets in the chamber at the running back position. They just always sort of do. And the game is in Salt Lake. That matters to me, um, and I think that uh, I think that this Utah team is a little bit better equipped to handle the spread. Uh, when these two teams played last year, it was a pretty low-scoring game. It was in Pullman, um, and Washington State came out with the win. I think that home field is really what matters most in this and i think that uh i think that washington state i think that they they broke down and showed some weaknesses and you you've been on this train the entire time right washington state is not as good as as their record um correct and uh and i i always felt like it, you could maybe have said the same thing about utah um but the truth is like utah is still incredibly dangerous in salt lake no matter what it would not matter if Oregon was going there. It would not matter if Alabama was going there. Like, you really don't want to have to go and play in Salt Lake and think that you're going to get away with doing everything that you usually are able to get away with um, offensively. I think you. think it's fair to say you can maybe flip the scores. I really hate that they're going to be missing Zach Moss, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was 28-24 Utah. Um, I, 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 Huntley might not be... The quarterback for you, um, but he doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot, and so you're not going to get extra opportunities. And all you have to do is is be able to bend a little bit and not break against this Washington State team. And I know they want, I know that they 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 want to be able to spread things out and and get things done that way. How much time are they going to be be able to to uh, have to go downfield against this Utah defensive line though? They're going to have to dink and dunk, which is exactly what Utah wants you to do. Oh, for sure. It wants your spread to just essentially have your passing game function as your running game. What they don't want is for you to be going over the top the whole time. And I'm not sure they'll have time to do it. And so I'm going against, um, what I believe to be Utah's, um, you know, weakness, which would be defensive speed, um, and, and taking home field on, on this one. I would not be surprised if Washington state won this game. I cannot wait to watch this game, but I don't, I don't think that Washington State has what it takes to go into Salt Lake and get a win. This,
0: this is a tough game for me because I'm looking at the stats. Washington State is averaging 605 yards per game of total offense. Utah's only giving up 274 yards. Right. These stats are a little bit misleading because both of these teams Neither one of them played good non-conference comp- competition.
1: Hey, now we can't hate on BYU too much.
0: Oh well, sorry, 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 sorry. Except for yeah, except for uh, Utah who did play BYU. Aside from that, these numbers, these early season numbers, are always a bit skewed for for teams. But Washington State, they're kind of they're about it. They're averaging 500 yards of pass offense per game, while. Utah's pass defense has only given up 222. So somebody's got to lose. You know, obviously Utah's going to give up more than 222 yards, but it probably won't be close to that damn 500 though. Probably be close to about a 350 day because like you said, their offense is going to, their running game is going to have to be serviced by their passing game. It's not a case where, you know, I I don't see them getting the doors blown off them. I think that Washington State does rebound, but I got I got I got Utah in this game. I, I just think that they're going to be able to slow Washington State down. I think Anthony Gordon is a good quarterback. I don't think he's as good as Gardner Minshew. Sometimes he looks a bit confused. Sometimes he looks a, um, you know, he looked a little uh, out of sorts at times against UCLA. Got a little rattled, and Gardner Minshew never got rattled. So I think that that is going to be the difference. I don't think that Washington State's quarterback play is as good as it was last last year, even though they're wide receivers. Uh are Arcanado's good. Borgie's good out of the backfield. He's good running it and he's good catching it. I, I just don't see an opportunity. Well, well, I shouldn't I should shouldn't say I don't see a full opportunity. I just think that this is a case where where Washington State is playing in a hostile environment and that they are going to, you know, just not have enough at the end of the day. I don't think that they're going to be able to stop uh, Utah's offense as much because they're kind of plotters. Yeah. You know, four yards of carry, four yards of carry, they're going to eat up the clock. And it, it's just not – I think that this comes down to the whoever has the ball last that their defense is going to have to get a
1: stop. Right. And God, you know what? This pick just feels like garbage, doesn't it? Like I'm, I'm, I, I want to be confident in it, but just looking, looking at the, I mean, Washington state hasn't lost to Utah since 2012. I mean, Mike Leach has just had Kyle Whittingham's number. A lot of these games have been super close. Two of them, he managed to win in Salt Lake city. Um, And it's just, it's not necessarily a style that that Utah matches up well with um but at the same time the last time that they the last time that they went in and and really dismantled um Washington State was back in 2012 when star Lotule was their guy right um oh, yeah and i think they have um they have that talent on the defensive line this year and they've got experience at offensive coordinator this year. Um, I'm going to be honest. It feels like a guess because I know that Washington state's had success and I know that Washington state hasn't shown that anybody can really slow them down yet, but I just, I, I'm not feeling it for them. I, I, I'm, I'm going with Utah and I'm sticking with it.
0: Your argument there just changed my mind, Ralph. I just got so much confidence in your argument that I'm going with Washington state. That's how <laughs> he much- flips. That's how much. No, you can. You convinced me with the Mike Leach record against Tyrone Whittingham. You convinced
1: me there. I, you gave him. Yeah. You gave. You called him Tyrone Whittingham. So you're gonna say that you gave him the the 0 <laughs> 12 treatment.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. The last game up that we got today, the Pac 12 South eventual Pac 12 South champions, UCLA Bruins, at the Arizona Wildcat Amstens. So we got Khalil Tate, who's going to run all over the field. He's going to. He's going to have a career day probably uh, against UCLA's inferior defense. Khalil Tate has 2,100 rushing yards. Make him the first quarterback in program history to reach the 2,000-yard mark on the ground. He's thrown for 5,000 yards. The only, the first person to do this in Pac-12 history was Marcus Mariota. Tate has 49 career TD passes, a bunch of them rushing. He's going to break a new Solomon's records. Like, everything is set up for Arizona to score a billion points. But guess what? Arizona's defense is the is only rivaled in oh sorry UCLA's bad defense is only rivaled by Arizona's bad defense. So guess what that means, Ralph? UCLA wins this game a a
1: billion and one to a billion. A billion and one. So this over under is 72. I mean, have you ever been more confident in anything that that number is going to get crushed?
0: Oh dude, dude, that that number is getting They scored 130 points against Washington, combined with Washington State.
1: There's no
0: chance that that
1: 70 points hits.
0: No way. Arizona
1: Arizona gave up 40 some points to Northern Arizona. Um, They did play good defense against Texas Tech, but I think that this defense just sort of matches up well against an air raid. Um, I don't think that I like Dorian Thompson Robinson's one good half of football. Against a Washington State team that, that that really looked like they forgot how to play defense completely. I mean, I will never forget how poor the tackling was in the second half of that game by both teams. Um, yeah, I, mean, I oh god, it was just awful. It was it was like if you ever intentionally and I'm I'm going to admit to doing something terrible right now, but if you've ever like been down in a game of uh, Madden or NCAA or something like that and you switch to the other team and like let somebody throw a touchdown on you, you control the defensive back and just make sure that they run alongside the receiver <laughs> instead of actually tackling them. Um, I mean, I, I've heard that that gets done anyway, but that's what that tackling looked like to me. Uh, this does not look like a winnable game for, for UCLA to me. I think that they could do some damage if they continue to sort of have that, like, we're free momentum. Um, I, if they don't play tight, if 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 UCLA doesn't like look at that one and zero in the Pac twelve, and then all of a sudden you know the buttholes pucker up a little bit and they feel like they have to go out there and execute on every play, then I think they're going to go right back down the toilet. But but if they go out there and they just have fun and say like, hey, we might go one and eleven, like Ralph said, let's just go out there and and wing the ball around, then U of A could really be in some trouble. Um, I trust U of. Have... <laughs> This is gonna be weird to say because I don't trust U of A's defense at all, but I trust them a little bit more than I trust UCLA in that at least you have like Colin Schooler and Tony Fields. Um UCLA hasn't stopped anybody yet. They didn't stop anybody against Washington State. No, they well actually
0: the, actually hold on. Turnovers do equate to stops.
1: Yes, yes. Um here is where you might feel good is that it's not like Khalil Tate's going to go out there and be Anthony Gordon, right? He's not going to throw nine touchdowns. He may may have total
0: nine total touchdowns, maybe maybe like three throwing and
1: six rushing. (laughs) That's possible. Yeah. I mean, I could even see it. I could even see a situation where Khalil Tate at the end of the day comes out with not a bunch of yards rushing and not a bunch of yards passing because for the first time ever, Arizona realizes, like, hey, we got, like, three or four running backs that can play. Let's just give them the ball every single time. Well, he's time. the leader like, rusher like on the team, from though. Arizona in this game. Yeah, that's a problem. That is that's that is a problem for me. Um, because that's the one thing that, that will keep them in some of these games when they're facing some more talented rosters than UCLA later on in the season. But it's also the thing that could make sure that they get a win um home field's kind of a weird I'm thinking about going out to this game actually just because I I I would love to be at another game where 100 total points are scored (laughs) um but I don't know I'm not feeling this game for being one that Khalil Tate like statistically goes off I think that the best thing for University of Arizona to do would be to just rotate in three different running backs run them all over the field Counters dives just all over the place, and then mix it up with a little bit of Khalil Tate trying to trying to you know make his way down the field here and there because he's, these receivers still aren't very talented. They got a little bit of experience under their belt, but they're not very good. And so, um, I I don't find UCLA dangerous in this game. I think that Arizona gets the win, maybe ten points or whatever. Um, I'm 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 looking at maybe like a 45 to 35 Arizona. Win. Oh
0: God, no, no, Ralph. This is a case you're right about the running because Arizona is by far the best rushing offense in the Pac-12, 307 yards a game, versus UCLA, who's the worst in under a hundred yards a game rushing. So <laughs> this you have two teams that are in totally opposite directions. If I think the fact that you admitted that Khalil Tate may not have a great statistical day against this defense says it all that you really need to know about Khalil Tate because every other quarterback that they've played, <laughs> okay. every other quarterback that they've played has had one of his best statistical days versus UCLA. And you're saying that your guy, Khalil Tate Amsden, won't have a great statistical day? that That says all you need to say about his quarterbacking. That is all you need to say because if he were an NFL type quarterback, he would be licking his chops, saying, "Oh yeah, got you CLA. This is a stat padding game."
1: Come on, Ralph. They're like you would... Yeah. And I'm gonna tell you But I mean, it's I think it, it would just be irresponsible as a head coach to go out there and try to have like more than 25 passing attempts when you can just get a win under your belt by running the ball. And I'd say that about anybody. If it had Washington State had Washington State just given the ball to Max Borgie the entire second half of that game, uh, that we would not even be having a conversation about whether UCLA could hang against Arizona. Here is
0: the truth, Ralph. Here is the truth. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Is that Dorian Thompson Robinson turned a corner. His, he is, his confidence was crazy in the second half. He's going to come out with that same confidence against Swiss cheese defense of Arizona. Demetric Felton's going to have a good day receiving, running the ball. So is Joshua Kelly. Khalil Tate is going to throw throw some balls up. He's going to have a couple of turnovers. UCLA's going to have some turnovers. This is going to be another high-scoring, ugly game And, and because UCLA's average, giving up 39 points a game. Arizona's giving up 33 points a game. And when you combine that, with people just slinging the ball running all over the place and bad tackling you, you got a hundred points happening this is going to be a big 12 game this is going to be uh a couple this is going to be cliff kingsbury texas tech versus um uh, versus west virginia you know what i mean <laughs> with with uh yeah it, there's no way that this game hits the the under and UCLA starts out the Pac-12 2-0 I got them you Arizona's favorite by seven and a half I like this game bro I like this game I cannot wait to watch this game it's another Pac-12 after dark game UCLA gets back-to-back Pac-12 after dark games they shocked the world twice in a row I'm letting you know
1: I feel like I've been gaslit all morning. I'm like, I'm going to walk away from this podcast like, wait, Dorian Thompson-Robinson and Chase Garbers are the two best quarterbacks in the Utah Pac-12 because they've collectively played two good games ever? I don't know. Um, And I'm not not hating on Khalil Tate. I just think that why even throw if you don't have to? Why do it? Just try to get a win because it's going to be a rough season for I think both of these teams moving forward. And uh, at least somebody gets to come out of today with a win. Just do what it takes to win. If you want to send him out there to throw for five touchdowns and two interceptions, he could do so it. So are, are you
0: right? going to apologize to me and UCLA, who you said was going 1-11 after they win the game on Saturday? Yeah.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, of course I would have to apologize. I told, I said a team would go 1-11. With, like, with confidence. That, you said as it so many times. Well, you've got to admit that it, it, late in the third quarter of last week's game, you had to be thinking, "Man, nope, Ralph's I was a like, it,
0: I was like, they got him right where they want him."
1: Oh, down thirty-two points with six minutes left in the third—that's exactly hey, where you want it, to be. It, it's like right. Tom well, Brady,
0: twenty-eight-three, but it Got him right where you want him.
1: Okay, all right. Well, I mean, I'm—I'm—I think I'm done talking for this podcast. But I will say, uh, I will say that uh, I'm, I'm still pretty confident in one and eleven. Uh, but of course, of course, I'd have to apologize. I mean, I, you you cannot be more distressed. It would be, I feel like 0 and 12 would be less <laughs> of a of an insult than saying like you're you're gonna get your one win somewhere, but the rest of them are dead. Wow. In the
0: wall. Now, I, I would agree with you there. You guys, thank you guys for listening to the Pac 12 Apostles. I'm George Reister, Ralph Amson. You guys, make sure you guys share the Pac 12 Apostles podcast. Tell a friend about the Pac 12 Apostles podcast. You know it's it's generally, it's generally great and this is for us appreciate it peace out catch you guys later